Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, it is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it. You can simply email us at info at lifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Before we get into Romans 7, I want to look at Romans 7 uh, verse by verse um, because that's one of the most powerful um, passages where Paul describes his revelation of how the body itself contains the power of sin. Because what I didn't really go into much the first hour, but um, what happened, what happened when God raised us from the dead, the real inner man from the dead when we first believed, and when he cut away the body of the flesh, as Colossians says, and we became circumcised, the real circumcision, what happened was God left the power of sin in our mortal body, in the members. Paul says in the members, in the members, your, your hands, your feet, your body. So the physical body, this is a great mystery, but the physical body, God left the, the mystery of iniquity in the physical body. But he separated you from it, me from it, as far as the east is from the west, because he, he literally put us into a different dimension, in the spirit. We're no longer in the flesh, in the uncircumcision of our flesh, but now we are in the spirit, having been circumcised, Colossians says, with the circumcision by Christ, by his death on the tree, that allowed God to cut us away from ourselves also because we died when he died. Isn't that cool? So the power of sin remains in the mortal body. Paul says in our members, he got a revelation of this in Romans 7. He, he describes how, he, how he, God showed him this. That's why he called the body the body of death. He called the physical body the body of death because it, it always tripped him up. Um, that's why we, we refer to walking after the flesh or walking after the spirit. Where do we get that term, flesh? It's, re- it's a reference to the body, the body, because the power of sin is in the body, the physical body. Um, so you have the power of sin that's still in the body, but in the spirit, a brand new creation that is not touched by that sin, is not um, tainted by that sin. And this is the mystery of God's way. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Scripture says, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are, so are his ways and his thoughts different from our ways and thoughts. Um, you see how important it is to see the invisible. See why that, that is so important, the visible versus the invisible? Now, notice where, where God cut, when he cut and made this circumcision. Notice where God cut. Because where he cut, is all important because he's, he's cutting to separate. 
He's cutting to separate you and I from sin. So where he cut is very important. Colossians says he cut away the body of the flesh. The circumcision is between the visible and the invisible, the outer man and the inner man, which means he did not cut between the soul and the spirit. A lot of teaching out there says that you're, you're born again of the spirit, you're perfect in your spirit, uh, you're saved in your spirit, or they'll say this, the spirit is saved, the soul is being saved, and the body will be saved. Well, they only have that really uh, one-third, two-thirds right. Yes, the spirit is saved, but the soul also is saved. The inner man is saved, the inner person, not just part of the person, but the whole person is saved. And the body will be saved or redeemed. That's true. The body will be redeemed. Flesh and blood will not, not inherit the kingdom of heaven. This body will be, will be transformed. And at the revelation of Jesus at the second coming, the Scripture says the very power of that vision will cause this flesh, this body, to be subjected to the, His power so that it will be transformed in, the, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, by His power that he's able to subdue all things to himself, and we will, immortality shall put on immortality. Awesome. So yes, there is, the only thing left to, to happen in this whole thing is the body um, being changed from mortal to immortal to match the inward man that's already immortal. You already have eternal life. You already are immortal. You already have passed from death and into life. You already shall never die. Isn't that awesome? These are the things of God that, that we are to feed on. Now, what I'm, what I'm saying all these things today, this can come under the heading of the things of the Spirit. These are the things of the Spirit that the apostle talked about. If our mind is set on the things of the Spirit, if we enjoy these truths, receive these truths, eat and drink of Christ, and rest in these truths, the fruit of that will be a renewed mind and life and peace. On the other hand, if our mind is set on the things of the flesh, if we're constantly trying to change ourselves, if we constantly see ourselves in the flesh, if we constantly look at sin in our flesh, if we constantly look at at the evil in our flesh. Paul says there's no good thing dwells in my flesh, and it's not going to change. So why are you looking for some good thing? No good thing's there. Paul says look at the new man, look at the new reality. In fact, he says look at Christ himself because the new man has been made after the same image of Christ. So as you see Jesus, you see who you are because you've been created new. The new man has been created new after the image of the creator, Christ himself has created us in his image. So when we see Jesus, we see who we look like. Which is why Paul said when you look at Jesus, it's like looking into a mirror. Because when you see him, you see yourself. Isn't that awesome? It's a totally different mindset from teaching that says you've got to search out sin in your heart and evil in your heart and work on that heart and work on sin and try to get better and try to get more holy and whatever. The heart has been made perfect. The heart is new. 
It was the promise of the prophets that God would come and wash us with water, wash us with water, pure water, and give us a new heart and a new spirit. The new creation is awesome. You have a new heart already. I mean, think how ridiculous that is to say, work on your heart. How can we work on our heart? Only God can give you a new heart. And he did. Remember how Jesus said, they who are born of the Spirit must be born of water and of the Spirit? That He says, unless you cannot enter the kingdom or you cannot see the kingdom unless you're born of water and of the Spirit. What he's referring to there is not water baptism. What he's referring to there is he's quoting Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel said that God would wash us with water, with pure water. And after the washing, he would give us a, a new spirit, a new heart. Jesus is quoting Ezekiel, and he's saying, unless you are born of water and of the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? Because there must be reconciliation first. There must be cleansing first. There must be forgiveness first. God just can't start recreating. He's got to take care of sin. He's got to, his righteousness and justice, which is the foundation of his throne, must be satisfied. And so there must be water first. There must be a washing first. And it's the blood of Jesus that washes us. It's, the, it's faith in what Jesus did that washes us. Ephesians talks about how we are washed, Ephesians, by the word of God. People take that, totally misconstrue what Paul is saying. They say, okay, if we study the Bible, if we study the Bible, the word of God will be washed, will be washed as we, wordy, as we study the word. No, that's not, what, that's not what Paul is saying at all. Chapter 5 of Ephesians, he's simply saying that the word, this word, this word that he gave himself for her, this word washes all who believe it. You see it? So the word, the message, the gospel, the word that he gave himself for her, the bride, washes her that he might join himself to her, and that's what happened. Isn't that cool? So we have been washed by the blood of Christ, and now we've received the new life, the new heart, the new spirit, and joined to him. So that's what he was telling Nicodemus about. And notice how he said also to Nicodemus, what he's, this whole thing with Nicodemus is so rich. Notice he didn't say that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is now both flesh and spirit. He didn't say that. We try to, or we, we think in terms of that we're still flesh, but now we have the spirit of God to help us. That God has given us the Holy Spirit so we can keep the law, so we can be good people. Now, now that we have the spirit, God's going to give us that extra oomph to obey. What God did is so radical, so different, that Jesus did not say that he who is born of the Spirit is now flesh and spirit. No, he who is born of the Spirit is now spirit. A whole new creation, but living in the body of the old creation. So, now think about this again, because I want you to really ponder this. You, as a believer in Jesus, are a new creation, new heart, new everything, new soul, new spirit. Remember, the soul and spirit are distinguishable, but they are inseparable. Soul and spirit are distinguishable, but they are inseparable. That's why when he created Adam, he breathed into Adam, he said, and he became a living soul. They're inseparable to God's thoughts and God's thoughts. 
it's a living soul or it's a soul that's dead and spiritually dead in sin. We were all like souls spiritually dead because of sin. But when he first made Adam, it was a living soul. And now the last Adam, who is a quickening spirit or a life-giving spirit, now gives life to us who are dead in our sins, spiritually dead, gives life to us, and we become a living soul again. But this time, it's a living soul joined to life himself that cannot fall like the first Adam. Does that make sense? So God did not cut between spirit and soul and say, your spirit is fine, but we're working on your soul. If you think about it, it just doesn't make sense. God's all about the inner man, outer man, visible, invisible. Soul and spirit are invisible. That's who the person is, a living soul. You're a living soul now, alive in Christ, a living soul. Think about um, how can I say this? Well, think about this. Do it. Do some little bit of homework when you get a chance, and do a search of every place the word soul is used in the New Covenant. Gospels, letters of the apostles, the whole New Covenant. You will not find anywhere, anywhere, a teaching that says that the apostles taught that God was working on the soul, that he's still working on the soul. In fact, you'll have verses like this. Peter says, after having believed, you have purified your soul. Or... Jesus himself saying, come to me, and you shall find rest for your soul. Search every place in the New Testament and find the word soul and see what it says. And you'll, you'll, you will not find a teaching that says God separated your spirit from the soul and he's working on your soul. That is incredibly complex and confusing, and it's just not true. It totally takes away the, the power of the new creation where Paul says, all things have been made new. Behold, all things are new in Christ. All things. He didn't have a little footnote there that says, except the soul. We're still working on the soul. No, all things in the new person. And think about this. When you die, when your body dies, because you will not die, you cannot die, as Jesus said. But when your body dies, the Scripture says, absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now, if that teaching is true that the spirit is saved, the soul is being saved, what happens in that moment? Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Does God have to hurry up and finish what he's doing in the soul? I mean, you're going to stand in the presence of God. You have to be perfect. Perfect. Jude says, you shall stand before him blameless with exceeding joy. You know why? Because you're blameless now. Isn't that awesome? That's what it means to walk by faith. To walk by faith in these bodies, though we don't always express what's inside of us perfectly, is what it means to walk by faith. James says we all stumble in many ways. We all sin. We all mess up and, 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 and do things that we shouldn't do, but it's not the real you doing it. And we're going to read that in Romans 7. It's the power of sin that wars against you, flesh and spirit, that you cannot do the thing you want to do. And God has shown us the way to to circumvent or to short-circuit the power of sin in the flesh by the mind set on the things of the Spirit and walking in the Spirit. As Paul said very simply, if you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh, which is a powerful statement. I mean, that's so simple. 
but it's so powerful because he's simply saying, if you walk in the reality of what is, that which is still in the body of this creation will lose its power, which is why the law is the strength of sin because the law is not a faith, the Scripture says. What does that mean? The law tells you to do in order to be. If you do this, you'll be good. If you do this, you'll be righteous. The law is not a faith. So if you try to live by law as a believer, you actually, Romans says, you actually stimulate this power of sin that's in the mortal body. You stimulate it. Why do you stimulate it? Because your mind is thinking something other than truth. Your mind is thinking, I've got to do in order to be. And so the moment your mind's thinking those thoughts, Paul says, sin deceived me because it tried to convince me I could do this without God. I could, if I just did this, I would be righteous. So when you have that mindset working in you, the power of sin tricks you into thinking you can pull it off. Then you're walking not of faith, not with the power of his life, and you fail, and I fail utterly every time. And so death begins to work in you as far as the condemnation and so forth. And that's what Paul is talking about, that this whole, this law of sin and death, which works through the mortal body, and the law of life in Christ Jesus are the two dynamics that he's explaining in Romans 7. It's awesome, Romans 7 and Romans 8. But he came to this revelation that it has to do with this power of sin in the mortal body. And this is key. This is key. You cannot see... I don't believe you can really grasp and see the invisible new creation and enjoy what God has done for you if you don't receive the apostolic revelation of sin in your physical body. And yet that's hardly ever taught. Yeah, Sheila? That's exactly right. I mean, and you're, and, and see, that's awesome because that's, God is such a good teacher. He begins in Genesis with two trees and it's the, it's the basis of, of, of two mindsets, two perspectives. And, um, and, it, and it doesn't mean, just so I'm not misunderstood, it doesn't mean if you're a believer and if you're in Christ and you're in the tree of life and the life is in you, just because you walk with wrong thinking from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil doesn't mean you're now no longer in Christ. I, I know you don't hear me saying that. What it does, it frustrates the life that wants to get out. And you find yourself walking. It hinders that life. That's right. It hinders that life. It frustrates the grace of God. You can frustrate the grace of God. You can uh, quench the spirit of life, the scripture says. You can, you can do those things by wrong thinking. But it doesn't mean you're not in him and he's in you and he doesn't love you any less and all that. I mean, that's, this whole thing is a process of learning how to live by another who lives within. It's totally foreign to natural way of thinking. I mean, we, 
we've always been, you know, we, we, uh, we're the people that pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and, you know, I'm, I'm a self-made man and all this, but the scripture says God takes no pleasure in the legs of a man. God takes no pleasure in the legs of a man. What does that mean? It means the legs of a man is the strongest part of the body. Strongest part of the man is the legs. And Scripture says God takes no pleasure in the legs of a man. God does not want you to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and show how big a man you are and how strong you are and how good you can be. And God takes no pleasure in that. What he takes pleasure in and what his eyes search to and fro throughout the whole earth to find is somebody who will believe him. Believe him. Trust in him. That's what brings God pleasure. In fact, it's impossible to please God without faith. But that's what God is after, which makes it so awesome because the very weakest can believe and the very strongest can believe. It's not a matter of performance and wisdom and knowledge and age or anything. A child can believe and a 90-year-old man can believe. In fact, the 90-year-old man must become as a child to really receive these things because a child trusts, a child believes without question. A child receives easier than the old man who has so much baggage. You know, the one that says, in that example that Jesus gave with the new wine and the old wineskins, and they say the old wine is better. Jesus said they say the old wine is better. We're used to the old wine. They don't want to try the new wine. But the child will receive the new wine, the, the new idea, the new revelation, because they're more open to change, trust, trusting. To become as a child, Jesus said, is very important. To receive this revelation. But anyway, so let's take a look at that now. Let's look at Romans. Okay, one more thing. I keep doing this. So I want to lay the foundation before we get into Romans, but yes, Donna? First of all, I think it's hard to actually define the soul without leaving a lot of unanswered questions. But the mind is part of the soul. Yep. And so what I would say, the basic definition we've heard through the years is mind, will, and emotions are the soul. And that's, that's a pretty good definition. It's more than that. There's more involved in the soul, in the person, than mind, will, and emotions. Um, and those, that mind, that will, and that emotions is affected and even infected by the power of sin in the body, which causes the mind to think wrong thoughts and will to make wrong choices and the emotion to have wrong emotions. But the soul itself, the person, don't get hung up on trying to define it so, you know, where we analyze it too much. Think about it as the person. But yes, I would say the mind is part of who you are as a person your mind, and now you have in Christ the mind of Christ. Um, the, the will, the, the, uh, the power to choose is part of your person as a person. You have the, that's a picture of the sovereignty of God, in fact, that God made us in his image and gave us the power to choose. It's a little piece of his sovereignty put into us as his, in his image, the power to choose. Um, and emotions, you know, God is, is all about emotions. God, is, God made emotions, you know. Uh, emotions are a good thing, and that's part of the person. So, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't try to define it too clearly. I know, see, that's one of the problems with the Watchman Nee teaching. Watchman Nee um, is the one that really focused on separating spirit and soul. 
and a lot of teachers just ate it up and said, this is, you know, this must be right. And it's gone for years now, decades in the minds of a lot of teachers that, that the spirit is saved, the soul is being saved because, because in their, in Watchman Nee's thinking, since the mind is, has to be renewed, since we have to think new thoughts, obviously the mind is not complete yet, but that's wrong thinking because the moment, the scripture says, the moment you leave your body, now you see through a glass darkly, the scripture says, you don't see fully, you don't uh, think fully all that is true, you don't express fully, you, you, you see in Uh, You see in part, you prophesy in part because you're in the body. But the scripture says the moment you leave, you, the real you, soul and spirit, the moment you leave your body, you shall know all things immediately, even as you are known by God. You see that? So what, what causes the soul, the mind, not to be able to see clearly, express everything clearly, understand things clearly? What causes the will not to choose perfectly every time the perfect will of God? What causes the emotions to not be perfectly balanced and so forth? It is the power of sin that's still in the mortal body, in our members, warring against the soul. See, that's another verse, James. He says, it is sin in our members that wars against the soul, not the soul warring against the spirit. See, that's James. You know, James. James says, it is the sin in our mortal body members warring against the soul. So, but the moment the new man, soul and spirit, is released from the body, ooh, we now know all things as we are known by God himself. So what was the difference? The body. You see that? Isn't that cool? So see yourself, be freed from this wrong teaching that the soul is being worked on. I mean, think about it. God did not do a halfway job. That means he only did, that means the entire work of God was only one-third, that he only accomplished one-third. He got the spirit saved, but he's still working on the soul. The body's yet to be redeemed. I mean, that's not our God. He doesn't do this awesome work and say, well, we got, I got one-third of it done, and we're working on that soul, and then eventually we'll, you know, give you a new body. Of course, you will get a new body, but that's not our God. He does something when he says it, it is, it is. It creates a person, not half a person, not part of a person, but a person. So anyway, that's how I would answer that is um, even though it seems it's a mystery, which is why it's very important to see the invisible and to to believe the invisible, but um, these things are hard to understand. Peter said that. Peter said some of the things Paul teaches are hard to understand. Peter. So here's an apostle telling us that, yeah, some of the things Paul teaches about, you know, the new creation, the new man, and the body having sin, it's kind of hard to understand. That's Peter. So we can, you know, we can relate that this is something that is not uh, natural. It has to be revealed. And when it's revealed, we we may not be able to explain it all, and I, I don't think you'll ever be able to explain it all. You know, there's a mystery to this, great mystery, and God wants us to simply believe, even though we still sometimes don't feel holy, don't feel righteous. He wants us to trust him, that he did it. And he gave enough to Paul that we can talk about these things. You know, how power of sin in the mortal body and how the flesh wars against the spirit. He gave enough to the apostle to explain his gospel so that we can at least have something to hold on to and say, oh, okay, I can see that's feasible. I, I don't understand how it all works, but at least I, I kind of understand. I kind of see it. See what I'm saying? So anyway, 
Hope that helps. You welcome, Donna. Yeah, because that's that's a very good question. It's you know it's a good. I I, I know that many people are laboring under the watchman knee thinking of soul and spirit separating and. It, the dichotomy with God has always been the seen and the unseen, the outer man, the inner man. So, okay, cool. All right, I want to share briefly, before we get into Romans 7, what we're teaching now, or what we're sharing now, what the apostles taught about the power of sin in our mortal bodies, in the early church gave rise to a heresy called Gnosticism. Gnosticism taught, Gnosticism taught that the body was evil. The body itself was evil. In fact, everything material is evil. Everything that you see with your eyes is evil, and that only the spiritual, invisible things are good. And it, it led from there, that, that wrong teaching, it led to other wrong teaching that says, it doesn't matter what you do in your body because the body doesn't matter. You can do whatever you want in your body because it's only the spirit is what matters. That's Gnosticism, where, where it, it took the truth of the gospel and perverted it and, and uh, changed it to uh, bring it down a path that was not true. Now, we are not saying the body is evil. The body is not evil. God gave Jesus a body. Thou hast prepared for me a body, Hebrews says. So the body is not evil. The body is glorious. God made the body. He made us in his image, and so he gave a body even to Jesus. But what we are saying, what the apostles are saying, is that there's the, a power of sin that works in our bodies. It works in the body. It's like a, a virus. Think about it as a virus. The body's not evil, but there's a virus in the body. It's, it's called sin. It's actually a, used as a noun in Romans 7, not a verb, a noun. It's, a, it's an entity, sort of. It's, a, it's like a virus. Yeah, it's like a power. It's a power. Not a person. It's not a person. It's not a demon. It's not a, it's not a personality. It, it is a power, though. It's, a, it's, a, it's the mystery of iniquity is how the Scripture talks about it. Uh, like a virus. Think about it like a bacteria. It, it infects the... Uh, it, it, it causes the, the new man to have static from heaven. Static. Whereas if you're free from the body, there's no static. Clear signal. That kind of thing. Um, Okay, so Gnosticism said that the body's evil. We're not saying that. Oh, and by the way, the reason why Jesus' Jesus's body had no sin in it is because he had no father of earth. See, the Adamic race, the Adamic race, this, this, the mystery of iniquity is passed through the blood, and the mystery of iniquity, had he been born of a natural father, he would have inherited the, the iniquity of Adam. So he had no father of earth, he was born from the Father himself, pure. His body was pure, as, as he said of Satan, you have nothing in me. So he had no, although he was tempted in every way, as we are tempted, he did not have the power of sin working in him um, like we have inherited from Adam and Eve. So Gnosticism took this beautiful, awesome truth and changed the truth of it and and the early apostles addressed it, and they combated that, that era of Gnosticism. So we're not talking about Gnosticism here. There's some people who don't know what we're saying. We'll say, oh, that's just Gnosticism, um, you know, and just dismiss everything we're saying. But remember this. When you teach the truth of what the apostles taught, you will get the heresies that they got. 
Now, what if you're not teaching the truth that they taught? Then you will not get the heresies they got. When's the last time you heard about a church combating Gnosticism in the church? You don't hear about it. Why not? Because if you're teaching a legalistic gospel, if you're not even teaching this whole reality, this awesome truth about sin in the body and the spirit being perfect, and if the, the heresy never arises because you're not even close to even teaching it. You see what I'm saying? You can actually take the heresies of the first century church and follow, trace them back to see the true gospel. And that's why in a legalistic church or a church that doesn't, has a mixture of law and grace, you'll never have a problem with Gnosticism because they're not even close to that. I mean, they're, they're not even close to saying that this power of sin is in the body and you are righteous and perfect on the inside. I mean, they're not even close to that. So you don't get the heresy. Does that make sense? So you can tell a lot about what the truth was in the first century, but what heresies they had to deal with. We don't even deal with those heresies anymore. You know why? Because we're not preaching the gospel they preach. You start preaching the gospel they preach, and you'll have these heresies come up in your body. You know, have people that get off track, and they start, oh, that means, okay, well, that means that. Oh, you're saying that my body's evil. That means I can do anything I want because the body doesn't matter, and, and that's Gnosticism. And that's not what Jesus taught, and that's not what the apostles taught. So anyway, just be aware of that, that someone who just dismisses this and says, oh, that's just Gnosticism, they don't know what they're talking about. And the early church had to deal with that very same thing because they were speaking this truth about how you were completely new on the inside, but God quarantined, he quarantined the power of sin in your bodies. He left it in the members of a body, which is why he says the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit's alive because of righteousness. Awesome. Okay. Now let's look at Romans 7. Let's take a look at that. This is so cool. This is when Paul got the revelation of this whole thing about how sin was left in our body as a believer. He got the revelation, and then he, then he taught it. And, of course, it was taught in many other places. In, in the, uh, even in Colossians, he talks about the spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of the body of the flesh. Let's look at Romans 7. Without going through every single verse, let's, let's hit the highlights and... Let's see what he says here. This is really cool. It's actually Romans 7 and Romans 8. When you have some free time to just read that 7 and 8 verse by verse in light of what we've said today, I think there'll be light bulbs that will go off even more uh, in terms of understanding what Paul is saying. In chapter, let's look at chapter 7. Uh, let's start with verse 1. and just I want to talk a little bit about this analogy that Paul uses uh, concerning marriage because this is, also, this is often mistaught. And I think you'll see what, uh, what I mean by that in a minute. Okay, chapter 7, Romans, chapter 7. Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, he's speaking to his Jewish brothers, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. Paul is simply taking the Jewish law on marriage, remarriage, divorce, that kind of thing. And he's saying this is a good example. He's not teaching here about marriage and remarriage. He's taking the Jewish law about this and saying this is a good picture of what Jesus did. Okay, verse 4. Therefore, my brothers, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, 
that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Okay. Most people teach that what Paul is saying here is that you were, or we were, before we were born of the Spirit, we were married to the law. And that through the death of Christ, we are released from the law so that we can be joined to the, to the same Christ who is raised from the dead and have life. Okay, the problem with that is that, it, first of all, it's not what Paul said. And secondly, it does, the analogy doesn't fit. Because if we were married to the law, then that means the law would have to die. And then, we'd have, then we could be married to another. If the law is the husband in that, in that metaphor, if the law is the, is the husband in that metaphor, then the law has to die so we can be married to another. The law never dies. The law never dies. So what is Paul saying there? Remember he says that as long as the wife is married to the husband, they are under the jurisdiction of the law. See, the marriage in the metaphor is not a marriage to the law. The metaphor is a husband and a wife married under the jurisdiction of the law. And that law says you can't remarry unless your husband dies. Okay, so what's Paul saying there? He's saying that the the marriage or the union, marriage is just another word for union in the metaphor. The union there is not between us and the law. It's between us and the flesh. We're joined to the flesh. We we were in the flesh. Remember, he says, when you were in the flesh or joined to the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by that law caused us to bear fruit unto death. See, the marriage is not with the law. You're under the jurisdiction of the law because you are of Adam. You're married to the Adamic race. You're married. I'm married to the flesh. I'm in this this world as a man from Adam under law. And the only way I can get freed from this law is if there's a death so that I can marry another. Okay, so what, so the the metaphor goes like this. So Jesus takes on flesh in the likeness of sinful flesh, Romans says, in the likeness of sinful flesh, Christ, that he might be judged for us. God condemned sin in the flesh on the cross. So the metaphor is that we were were crucified with Christ. We died. Our marriage to the Adamic race ended because of the body of Christ. That's why it says in Romans that, that there's a death because of the body of Christ, because his body died. His, he took upon himself the sin of the world so that my marriage to the flesh, I hope this makes sense. We died, our marriage to the flesh ended because of the, of the body of Christ, because of the death of Christ. Now that released us from the jurisdiction of the law. That's the metaphor. So now the, so the invisible person within is, has been released to be married to another because the flesh is dead. 
We were married to the flesh. We were married to the Adamic race. That's gone now because of the cross of Christ, by the body of Christ, see? That's what Paul is saying. So the inner invisible man is free to be married to another. And so that same Christ who died to release me from the flesh or, or really to cause the flesh to be judged and die and therefore release me from the jurisdiction of the law, see, now allows me to be married to another in, the, in that metaphor. And that, that other is the risen Christ, the same one who died for me, rose for me. So now the inner man can be joined to the risen Christ and under that metaphor not be a, a violation of law because there was a death that released you in that first marriage. So you see that? So this is really important. Paul is not talking about being married to the law. He's talking about being married to the flesh. And you can see that in, as we go into Romans 7 and Romans 8. Romans 8, he says, when you were in the flesh, you didn't belong to Christ. But now you're in the Spirit, and you belong to Christ. For he who is not in the Spirit doesn't belong to Christ. The whole thing that Paul is talking about in Romans 7 and 8 is not about being married to law. It's about being married to the flesh. But when you're free from that marriage through the crucifixion of Christ, having been circumcised by the hand of God, by the circumcision of Christ on the cross, see, then the inner man is free to marry the risen Christ. You see it? And that death releases you from the law because, as Paul says in that metaphor, when a man, you know, when the husband dies, you're free to marry another under the law. He's using it as a metaphor. So we're free from the law in that metaphor to marry another, and that other is the risen Christ. Isn't that cool? So now you know that the, the right way to look at this Romans 7 metaphor is not that you were married to the law, because the law never dies, but that you were married to the flesh. We were married to the Adamic race. We were married, and that's why Christ had to take on flesh and blood. That's why God condemned sin in the flesh on the cross for us. He became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Isn't that cool? All right, now let's look at this. As Paul goes down, let's skip down to where he says, all right, this is where he begins to talk about the struggle he has, he has as a believer with flesh and spirit. Look at, look at chapter 7. Let's go with, um, let's go with verse, verse 15. Chapter 7, verse 15. For that which I am doing, I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. Verse 16, but if I do the very thing I do not wish to do, I agree with the law, confessing that it is good. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which indwells me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, and then he corrects himself, that is, in my flesh. He makes it clear, he's not talking about the the new person, the new creation, he goes, that is in my flesh. No good thing dwells in my flesh. For the wishing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. Verse 19. For the good that I wish, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not wish. But if I am doing the very thing I do not wish, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. And again, we know when he says in me, he means in his flesh. Verse 21. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wishes to do good. This is when he's talking about the revelation he got. Verse 22, for I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body. There it is. Waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner 
of the law of sin, which is in my members, meaning the body, the physical body, members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? His physical body, members, power of sin in my members. I learned there's a principle working against my mind that when I would want to do good, I find myself doing evil, and God showed him it's not you, Paul. It's not the real you. It's, there's a power of sin that remains in the physical body because of the spiritual circumcision. I have taken that away, separated you from it, but you still are affected by it because it's in your body. Verse 25. And then at verse 24, he says, who shall deliver me from this body of death? He calls it the body of death. Verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand, in other words, through Jesus, I, I can be delivered from the body of death. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. Now, some people say that's a good statement. That's, that's the way we ought to live, with the mind serve the law of God and with the flesh the law of sin. But that's not, the, that's not good. Paul is saying this is the problem. The problem is with his mind, he was trying to serve the law of God. Earlier in the same chapter, he talks about the law coming to him, thou shalt not covet. And remember, remember he said, when the law came to him, thou shalt not covet, he found all manner of covetousness come up within in his flesh. So what he's saying here is that he's, he's learning how to live by another life. He's about to go into chapter 8 about how to live by the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. But right now he's, he's addressing this revelation he got that, wow, if I try to serve as a believer... And the reason why he says, I joyfully concur with the law of God on the, on the inner man, you, uh, an unbeliever can't say that. An unbeliever can't, the flesh is hostile to God, at enmity with God. So I believe he's clearly talking about Paul as a believer, born again, regenerated. He says, he goes, I'm struggling with this thing. I, I, joy, I joyfully concur with the, the law. I have no problem with the law that says don't kill, don't steal, and don't commit, don't covet, whatever. But every time I try to do this, I find another law or principle working in my members bringing me into, into captivity every time so that, so that as I try to serve the law of God in my mind, I find this other power, this law, this, this law of sin in my members taking me captive every time so I end up doing the very thing I hate. You see it? So Paul right here is just, he's just saying, he's just saying I got this revelation that this is why this happens. And because I'm trying to serve the law of God, there's a mystery working in my members, the power of sin that brings me into captivity, captivity and takes me prisoner every time. And that means simply that what he wanted to do, he ended up not doing. And the thing he hated, he ended up doing, which we can all relate to. It's the old battle of flesh and spirit. Okay, so... What the problem is, is that he's trying, he was trying as a good Jew, but now he's a believer, and he's learning how to live by the life of another, but he was still, as a good Jew, trying to serve the law of God and was getting tripped up every time. And so he said, oh my God, I'm not supposed to be trying to serve the law of God. Remember how in Romans it says, we no longer serve now God after the letter of the law, but in the newness of the Spirit. He's, he, he, laid, he set that up early in Romans 7 because now he's explaining it. So when he says we no longer serve in the letter of the law, but in the newness of the Spirit, here he's, he's, he's given us more detail about his struggle. And he says that was the problem. 
I was trying to serve the law of God. I was trying to serve the commandments. And the law is not of faith. So I was trying to serve God after the letter of the law, and that was causing the power of sin in the flesh to be aroused every time, as it said in the early, early part of Romans 7. You see that? Isn't that cool? So the problem is, as a believer, if you try to serve the law of God, you will lose every time. Every time there's a, there's a greater power in your members, in your body, Paul says, that will take you captive every time. And when you try to do good, you'll end up doing evil. And the very thing you hate, you'll end up doing because the power of sin is greater than what? Than knowledge of right and wrong. The tree. That tree. See? To serve the law of God in your mind is to live by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. To serve the law of God, not serve God. See the difference? If you seek to serve the law of God by knowledge of right and wrong, you'll lose every time. Paul learned that as a good Jew who did nothing but that all his life, served the law of God, now sees a whole new way, a new and living way to walk as a man on earth. And that's what he goes in Romans 8. He says, Romans 8, he says, there is therefore now, Romans 8, verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the first thing he understood is that this work is so complete, there is now no condemnation as he is learning how to live by another within. He's going to stumble. He's going to fall. He's going to do stuff that he didn't want to do, that he hated, but but he doesn't go and condemn himself for it. Remember what he says in Galatians? He goes, if I sin, am I a transgressor? He goes, no, because where there is no law, there is no transgression. He goes, I do not put myself back under the law and make myself a transgressor. Galatians, you see that? So that's why he mentions this no condemnation thing, because as we're learning to live by Christ within, we all stumble in many ways. We're going to fall and make mistakes and walk after the flesh at times and after the spirit at times as we're learning how to live by him, a whole new and living way of living that is not of this earth, not of man, And he says, there's no condemnation. And if I do sin, he says, in Galatians, is Christ the minister of sin? Did Christ cause me to sin? Because God forbid, no. That was my stupidity. That's me, not learning how to walk by the Spirit. But do I make myself a transgressor and put myself in my thinking under the law again so I'm condemned and feel terrible about myself? No, because where there is no law, there's no transgression. Sin is no longer imputed to the believer as we're learning how to walk out this reality, this new reality. And that scares religious people to death. But that's the truth. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Grace doesn't make you sin. Grace sets you free from sin because of this revelation of living by him within. The law is the strength of sin. Grace is not the strength of sin. Grace is the strength of righteousness. Grace brings the fruit of righteousness. Grace brings the life, see? But natural man doesn't get it. Natural man will default every time to a visible, uh, law-based, 
self-centered kind of approach to God, and you lose every time. It takes a revelation to see this new thing that God has done so that we live by another in a counterintuitive way. It's counterintuitive, just like walking out of the boat and walking on water. doesn't make sense. It's foolishness to the natural mind. It's counterintuitive to say, I'm going to release you from condemnation of all your sin, and that causes you to walk in righteousness. Wait a minute. All my life, I've kept my life in check because I knew there were consequences, and I knew I was going to be held accountable. And you're telling me now that blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account? Are you telling me that he's not going to take my sin into account? Wait a minute. The only dynamic I know is if I'm held accountable, that kind of keeps me right, keeps me walking right. Now, you're telling me that that's not what this is about? It's counterintuitive. You know why? Because it's God's way to bring glory to himself. Not in a self-centered way, but it releases you from the burden of trying to be that no flesh may glory in his presence. You know what the secret of the Lord is? The scripture says, he who fears me or or reveres me, I will tell him my secret. And, And by the way, the fear of the Lord is just, that phrase just simply means that you esteem his word above every other word. That's all it means. It doesn't mean you're afraid of God. It means you esteem his word above every other word. So when Paul is explaining his gospel to us, if you really fear God, you'll receive the apostles' explanation of the gospel. See, that's true, the true fear of the Lord. And the Scripture says, uh, in fact, the true, if you have the true fear of the Lord, you're not afraid of God. If you have the true fear of the Lord, as the Scripture teaches, which is to esteem His Word above all other words, which is why it's the beginning of wisdom, because you esteem His Word above all the words of men and my own ideas, my own theories. I esteem His Word above all things. That's why it's the beginning of wisdom. If you have the true fear of the Lord, you have no fear of God. For he who fears doesn't understand. John says, well, we've already passed from judgment because of what Christ did. Perfect love has cast out all fear. Isn't that awesome? So if you have the true fear of the Lord, you will esteem his word above all other words, and you will accept what Paul is teaching us about this new creation, about the sin in the body. You'll accept it and receive it as God's word coming from the Apostle Paul. And what was I going to say? There was something else. I, I totally lost my train of thought. I was building up to some thought. We were talking about something. Yeah, counterintuitive. We're talking about counterintuitive. I got in that rabbit trail about the fear of the Lord. Um, counterintuitive. Um, it is totally not like natural man thinks to be released from the law, released from accountability. Oh, yeah, oh, I, oh, yeah, I got it. What I was going to say is the secret of the Lord is given to those who fear God. That's where I got off from the fear of God thing. The secret of the Lord is given to those who fear God, the Scripture says. What is the secret of the Lord? The secret of the Lord is this. While the religious people will never hear this secret because they're outside saying, this will never happen. You can't do this. Galatians, you can't live like that. It won't work. Whatever. They won't be told this secret. But if you will believe that God knows what he's talking about, He says, come behind the veil. Come here. 
He'll take you behind the veil. While the Pharisees are out wrangling about soft on sin. Nah. All they want to do, I know why they like this grace. They want to drink wine. So, but if you will believe, God will take you from the veil. He'll say, I'll tell you why this works. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you how releasing you from all accountability, from all condemnation, I'll tell you why it works. It's because I will now live in you. To live awesome. And you'll go, hot dog. Doesn't make sense to the natural, but I was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet, not I, but Christ lives through me. And the life I now live in this body, this body of death, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Awesome. Isn't that cool? That's true Christianity. Galatians 2.20. Like the uh, electric socket, 2.20. That's how I remember it. You need to, up, you need to upgrade to a 2.20 socket. And then we could finish just a few more verses in Romans 8. This is so cool. Um, he says in verse 8, I mean, chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the Spirit of life. And here's where Paul makes the transition. No longer serving the law of God with his mind. Now he's going to serve God, not the law of God. He's going to serve God, the Scripture says, by his or in his spirit. Remember how Paul says, I serve God in my spirit now? I serve God in my spirit. I don't serve the law of God in my mind. I don't serve the law of God with the knowledge of right and wrong anymore because that's a losing proposition. I now serve God in my spirit because I now I see union. I see new creation. I see new heart. I see sonship. I see my papa. I cry, Abba, Papa. I see a new reality. I see I'm not of the Adamic race anymore. I see I'm from above and not below. I see I am perfect and righteous. I see I am joined to him. I see that as he is, so am I now in this world. The things of the Spirit. Look how he says here. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death that worked in the body. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. He, he ended that marriage. You were joined to the flesh. He ended the marriage. He killed the husband, the flesh, so you could remarry and marry another. See? in order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That does not mean that you have to walk perfectly now in the Spirit. That means that your whole existence, your whole walk, your whole reality is now in the Spirit and no longer in the flesh. And he makes it more clear in the next few verses. Verse 5. For those who are, who are according to the flesh, those who are unregenerated, 
set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. That's what we're talking about here, see? The things of the flesh, people who are in the flesh, who try to serve the law of God, all they see is sin. Because the law is the strength of sin, and the law by the law, there's a reminder of sin all the time. But under the new covenant, there's no more reminder of sin because sin has been taken away, not just covered. Under the old covenant, there was a reminder of sins because it was just covered. Most believers live in an Old Testament, Old Covenant mentality of covering of sins. And as they sin, they confess and try to get those sins under the blood again. And they do good for a while, and they find themselves sinning again. And they confess to get those sins forgiven again. They live in an Old Covenant covering of sins mentality and not the taking away of sins. For having once been purged from sin, they should have no more consciousness of sins, the worshipers, the Scripture says. It doesn't mean we don't know what's right and wrong. It doesn't mean we don't know what flesh and spirit is. But it means that you, as a person, no longer see yourself as a, just a sinner saved by grace. You're not a sinner saved by grace. You were a sinner. I was a sinner. But now, saved by grace, I am no longer a sinner. But Paul says you are a saint. Can't be both. Either a sinner or a saint. Holy one, saint, because of this great mystery of godliness, the great mystery of death and resurrection, God coming into the world, dying, and leaving again. It's expedient that I go away. It's expedient that I go to the Father and finish this work and finish the circle. I come from the Father. I came into the world. I now leave the world, and I go back to the Father. For if I don't finish this work, this circle, and sit down on the right hand of God, the Spirit cannot come. For until I'm glorified and finish what I have been sent to do, to reconcile the entire human race for all men, for all time, the Spirit cannot come. But once that's done, whosoever believes on me shall be given the right to be called the sons and daughters of God. And they shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this great mystery of spiritual circumcision shall take place by the hand of God. And a new person shall be raised from the dead, born no longer from below, but from above. Seated with me now in heavenly places, a new person inside an old body, a new creation inside a shell from the old creation, whereas the old creation shall die and slowly deteriorate the body, but the new man shall be renewed day by day as a spring of water with no end. For he who believes on me out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Even as you walk in these bodies of death, even as you walk in the, in the vestiges of the old Adamic race, even as you walk on this planet 
in the broken image of the fallen race, within you is a new creation. Rivers of living water such that the Spirit will put to death the deeds of the body and you will manifest who I am through these vessels. And the fruit of the Spirit will be seen. And men will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven because they'll recognize these are the sons and daughters of God because the love will flow and the manifestation will be there. The whole creation groans for the manifestation of the sons of God. All of creation groans that they might see what God has done as we simply walk in love, His love, for love fulfills all law. Isn't that awesome? The simplicity of it, the genius of it, the profoundness of it, off the charts. Religion can't touch this. Like that song, can't touch this. Religion cannot touch this. And you know what? The, the true gospel is so powerful. Cults, cults and false religions and false teachings, they can't, they, it blows them away. It's only a watered-down gospel, a legalistic gospel, a mixture of false teaching in, in, in our Christianity that opens the door to these false teachers and false teachings and, you know, all this other stuff. But when it's a pure gospel of Christ, Christ-centeredness, the finished work of Christ, the new creation, a new covenant of grace, when it's clearly proclaimed like the apostles proclaimed it, there is no room for these little cockroaches. I'm not referring to people here. I'm talking about bad ideas, false teaching. There's no room with that blazing light for the cockroaches to do anything but scurry away. See, a certain sound, a certain sound, a certain sound, not just your spirit saved and maybe working on your soul. No, a certain sound. Say it boldly like it is. Behold, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Behold, all things have become new. Say it boldly. Even though we don't understand it all, even though we don't manifest it perfectly, say it boldly. A certain sound. As the apostles taught, let the chips fall where they may with no hook to it. No hook that says, okay, and then God will love you if you do this. No, no hook. Proclaim it with all power and leave it there and watch what God will do. The people are starving for this. They're hungry for this. You know, you know how in our elections we have maybe 25% people show up to vote, sometimes 30%, and there's always that 75%, 70% that never go out and vote? We call them the silent majority. That's how the church is. I really believe that. There's, there's a small percentage that actually go to church. But there are millions of believers out there that don't go to any, any church. God knows every one of them. They're hungering for this. They're hungering for the true gospel. 
And sometimes they, they just, they don't, fit in, they don't fit into the mixture, the legalistic church. They don't fit into all the, the politics of church and the men's manipulation and all the money that's, you know, let's raise a billion dollars to build a gym. You know, they, they don't fit into all this. They say something's wrong. Something inherently is wrong. You know, I guarantee you there's 70% of believers out there that if, if this was preached and proclaimed in, in boldness, they come. They'd come. They would change their political affiliation and vote. <laughs> They'd vote Jesus. They would, they would come. They would come because you know what? My sheep know my voice. They would come. If you build it, they will come. Right? Field of dreams. Another gospel. The sheep, the sheep, the sheep, the sheep know inherently there's something wrong. And sometimes people, they do the best they can, you know, and they go and, but there's so many sheep out there that are true believers, born of the Spirit. And then there are others that are not born of the Spirit, but they're hungry for God. They really are hungry. They're not born of the Spirit yet. They're hungry for God. But, they, but they're not hearing the message that will bring the Spirit. They're, bring, they're hearing the law. And the law will not bring the Spirit. You know what brings the Spirit? We see in Peter, when Peter went to the, to the house of Cornelius, the Gentiles, and, Jesus, and Peter, they said, hey, God told us we were, we were to hear everything you have to say. And an angel said, go send for Peter. You know, Peter came. Peter's in the house of the Gentiles. And Peter goes, wow, this is, this is really God. And he began to talk to them about Jesus. Spirit didn't fall yet. He just started talking about Jesus, who Jesus was. And then he said this, and the Scripture says this, that when Peter said these words, then the Holy Spirit fell. You want to you know how to get the Holy Spirit in people? Say these words. This is awesome. They were, first of all, ready to believe whatever he had to say because an angel had appeared to him and said, whatever he has to say, you... So their, their hearts were wide open. There was no doubting. There was like... So they were wide open to receive whatever. Okay. Peter said these words... Book of Acts says, Peter said these words, Whosoever believes on this Jesus shall receive the forgiveness of all sin. Boom! (laughs) Boom! The Scripture says they didn't say a word. They didn't raise their hand and say, I want to believe. They didn't do anything because the Scripture says they were prepared by an angel to hear whatever Peter had to say. And Peter later in Acts 15 at the council in Jerusalem said, God, who knew their heart, saw faith in their heart and gave them the Spirit like He gave us in the beginning. So they were just sitting there with their hearts wide open. Whatever Peter says, we're going to believe it. Because God has said, this is as if God Himself is speaking to us. And when He said these words, the Scripture says, when He said those words, if you will believe on this Jesus, you shall receive the forgiveness of all your sin, they were saying, I believe. Whoom! Spirit fell. What brings the Holy Spirit? Not law. Belief in Jesus for the forgiveness of all your sin. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's all you have to know. And then once you have the Spirit... The journey begins, and our mind is renewed, and we, he's, he leads us from faith to faith and from glory to glory, for the Spirit shall lead you into all truth, 
And you, if you continue to follow me, Jesus said, you shall know the truth. The truth. And the truth will make you free. The truth. The reality. New creation. Living in a dead body. Body of no creation. Perfect. Blameless. New heart. Joined to God himself. Father and the Son. The Son and the Father. And now I and the Son and the Son and me. One. Union. Abba. My Papa. Heir of God. Joint heir with Christ. Awesome. Lord, we just thank you that help, help us receive all these things. I pray that the enemy will not be able to steal from us these, these thoughts from heaven, from the mind of Christ. Lord, thank you for teaching us these things. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that reveals these things. Bring to remembrance these things. Remind us of these things. Help us fully experience the joy unspeakable and full of glory. Teach us to come aside often and just bask in your love. Teach us to take walks, get away from the noise of this world to hear the voice of our bridegroom. Teach us to rest. Teach us to be still and to know that you are God. Teach us to look at the unseen. To behold the glory of God in the face of Christ. To experience heaven. Heaven on earth. Kingdom of heaven shall be within you. Shall be within you. Righteousness, peace, joy, heaven. Thank you, Lord, that you left us your joy. You left us your peace. You gave it to us because you live now in us. Seal our hearts with this revelation, Lord. May it bear much fruit, the fruit that remains. And may many, many understand. May we all teach many. And may many understand. And those who lead others to this righteousness which is by faith, shall shine as the stars forever. Forever. Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. 
This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.